We're kicking off a new series today, and, and as I was thinking about this series, I came across a quote from um, a colleague's mom. Uh, this guy online posted this, and his mom said this about the lockdowns and about the, um, the pandemic, but she said it this way. She said, a lockdown, now this is, let me just preface this, this is a little bit male-oriented, so figure out words that fit for, for women in this, but lockdown can only go four ways. You can come out a monk, a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk, you just got to choose wisely. And when I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, a hunk or a monk is possible, a chunk or a drunk. Yeah, not great things, but it just makes you realize that what we're doing in the middle of this season matters. And this was a little tongue-in-cheek humor here. But it brings me back to this conversation I had with my neighbor over the holidays. Uh, he came and rang my doorbell, and he brought us a metal tin of holiday cookies, which they've often done. It's so awesome to get all these cookies over the holidays. And, uh, and so he ended up kind of, you know, standing on my porch or my walkway, and we ended up talking outside for a little bit. And we started to talk and get a little bit deep into the conversation about what the year has been like and what it felt like getting into this year 2020 previously or the pandemic and, and how the pandemic revealed some cracks in our lives, in our health and relationships and finances and spirituality that many of us really weren't prepared for, ready for, uh, geared up for. And like many of you, this last or last year, the pandemic surprised us. I mean, the last thing my family did before these, those earlier lockdowns hit was we celebrated our, our daughter's 16th birthday party. And there was 40 or 50 people that got together. And we were already starting to be cautious, but then the, the lockdowns hit. And that coming weekend was the first time that our church gathering was exclusively online, nothing in person. And since then, like many of you, the majority of my social interaction has been curbside visits, backyard, uh, socially distant conversations, separate snacks, if you're ever even in that environment outside. And these days, it's probably a skating rink, if even possible. And what I wrote down after that conversation with, with my neighbor and thinking about this weekend as well was this. Life as we knew it didn't prepare us for life as we now know it. Life as we knew it didn't prepare us for life as we now know it. In fact, many of us walked into this last season completely blind. And it ties into a theme we're kicking off today, which we're going to be in for the next four or five weeks. And it's this theme called the wilderness. Or in the scriptures, it's often called the desert. This theme in scripture is when one or more of God's people are going through a season of struggle, but particularly walking literally through the desert. But often it's come to be associated with the season of struggle or difficulty or isolation. And when you read these moments in the scriptures, you get a sense that God often uses these wilderness moments as a path towards something better or a way that we can grow or become stronger or maybe even find our call in life. Moses discovered God's name in the wilderness in front of a burning bush and his call. Elijah discovered God's voice in the wilderness on a mountain. Jesus uh, spends 40 days in the desert and, and then after that is launched into his earthly ministry. Now, you probably think about how 
even in church history, where these wilderness themes then became almost, um, uh, you know, they, they, they were taken on almost as a spiritual formation. There was a generation of church leaders in the third and fourth century and even beyond that called the Desert Fathers, where these church leaders literally went to live in the desert for months some even years, on purpose, so they could get to know themselves and get to know God. Now, one of the more popular wilderness stories in the Bible is when Israel is being led through the wilderness to a land that God promises them. And we're going to, over the next few weeks, take snapshots from their journey. It's found in Exodus chapter 13 to Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to take snapshots from their journey here. But we'll get into that in a moment. But just think about this. I mean, if you're really pragmatic, just think practically. I mean, who likes or wants a wilderness experience? Who, who wants to walk through um, the desert for more than an hour? I mean, I guess unless you're really geared up for it. Only in retrospect do we realize wilderness seasons can be profitable, um, can help us grow, can teach us something valuable. In the moment, it's hard to see. There's a, an author named Ellie Weasel, who is um, a Jewish writer who, who was in the concentration camps during the Holocaust. He wrote this book called Night. It's an incredible memoir of his horrible experience in the concentration camps, and yet what he learned through it and the kind of perspective it gave him for life is absolutely incredible. It's interesting, only because we read the scriptures like on the other side of the wilderness stories, do these stories sound positive or profitable or meaningful? But in the moment, I assume most of us would never choose them, at least not at the outset. I mean, even Jesus was, was led into the desert, the Gospels tell us, by the Holy Spirit. It, it wasn't something that he woke up in the morning and said, hey, desert experience, 40 days is next on my bucket list. I'm going to go into the desert. He was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. But there was purpose there. There was purpose. So I want to invite us, starting today for the next few weeks, into this theme of wilderness, and particularly the wilderness that Israel was in as God was leading them uh, towards this promised land, which was meant to lead them towards salvation and life, but they were coming out of something that was not so great. So let me kind of tell us where the story actually, where we're picking it up from. Because it doesn't start in the wilderness. It starts earlier. In fact, Israel uh, has grown significantly in population under Egypt's empire. Uh, they have grown to a multitude of people. And over time, uh, Egypt forgot the, the initial Israelite that was very popular in the day, which his name was Joseph, who helped, Israel during, uh, who helped Egypt during a difficult time. But hundreds of years later, now we have Israel inside Egypt's borders, and now they are an oppressed people. They are enslaved to the Egyptians. And Moses is called by God in that initial, another desert experience, to be a catalyst to rescue them out of Egypt. 
Moses' call, uh, God's preparation. He teaches them the Passover meal in this moment. He saves them through that as well. These plagues that God sends to Egypt and Pharaoh because they're not letting his people go. These are all spectacular moments in how God reveals his covenant faithfulness, his, his committed faithfulness to this nation that he is called to be a light to the world and that has a bigger purpose, a better purpose, than to be slaves in Egypt. We pick up the story in Exodus 13, verse 17. If you've got a Bible, uh, man, open your real physical Bible at home. If you don't, uh, follow on the screen or open an iPad or something. But here we'll read together verse 17, just a couple of verses, and we're going to kind of um, jump around a little bit through a couple of chapters. So verse 17, chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear in an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sakath, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. Let's just pause and pray for a second. God, we ask you to captivate our hearts right now through this wilderness story found in the scriptures, in the overarching story of your love and grace for us, God. Lead us, guide us, speak to us, God, today beyond what my words are capable of doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we find in this scene, particularly, Pharaoh uh, is, is letting Israel go. They're starting to move out of Egypt. They're starting to leave this land where they've been enslaved. And the quickest route to the promised land, to where they need to go, is through Philistine country, the author tells us. Now, the Philistines didn't even exist at the time. But because this story is told from a future time back, telling, you know, the old story, the author puts in Philistine country because Israel would have recognized and remembered that region because the Philistines later, when they're reading the story, did exist. And so they would have known the, 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 the geography of that place. Um, that route would have been dangerous for Israel because it was occupied and guarded by the Egyptians. Their empire was widespread. So to spare them from walking through that dangerous route, which would have been potential war or literally death for Israel, God leads them around the desert at first and then through what we know as the Red Sea and then into a desert or the wilderness. Verse 21 tells us that God leads them along the way. He's the one who is uh, guiding them turn by turn as they leave Egypt and then slowly move into this season in the desert. But when you just think that Egypt, you know, has given up, Egypt doesn't give up yet, and they change their minds. And now they're on Israel's trail, and they're following Israel, and they're marching on toward them, and Israel freaks out. Verse 11 and 12 in chapter 14, uh, when Israel realizes that the Egyptians are marching after them, this is what they tell Moses. They're like, was it because... 
there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? And what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now this is Israel speaking out of frustration, speaking out of fear, speaking out of uh, a confusion. And it's the first moment that Israel wants to bail on this exit strategy. Why Exodus is called Exodus. They're like, well, let's just go back to Egypt. I mean, yes, we were slaves, but we at least knew what our day looked like. Yes, it was bad, but it felt normal to us. Yes, we, you know, it, it, we're in a difficult situation. We could die right now. It, at least it was stable back then. So Egypt is looking a little bit better than the wilderness. And what a, a stark phrase to tell Moses. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And this gives us a glimpse of what wilderness experience is like. This gives us a glimpse of how harsh and difficult it is to walk through the desert. I've personally never done it. But you and I have probably read enough stories and heard enough accounts of what that might look like, especially over time, as you keep walking and walking and there's not much food or vegetation or water, and it gets harder and harder. And here, Israel has, before they even enter the wilderness, is already tempted to go back. They're tempted to go back to the situation they knew instead of following God to the situation he was taking them to. This is an important principle for us. We're going to cycle back to it later, but let me say this line. Often we're tempted to go back to the situation we knew instead of the situation God's taking us to. That's what Israel is experiencing right now. They can't see God's purpose yet. They can't see tangibly where they're headed. It feels so far away and so unattainable. But the wilderness, the desert will be their path to new life, to growth. It's in the desert that God will reveal himself, that God will lead them, that God will provide for them, that God will transform them and shape them. The desert and the wilderness is not their final path or their final destination, but it's a path to the promised land. Now, maybe you found, uh, caught that little weird bit of information that we read, that they picked up a bag of bones, Joseph's bones, Joseph, one of Jacob's sons of the 12 sons of 12 tribes of Israel, he was one who was found in Egypt and was brought to a high level of authority in Egypt and actually rescued his brothers, the initial clan that became the Israelites out of a famine. Well, Joseph eventually died and he said, keep my bones as a promise that God will lead you out of this land one day. So interestingly enough, they take this bag, this bag of bones. Strange. I mean, when you go on a road trip, you hand your kids a teddy bear. Here's Israel. Israel. Take, the, take Joseph's bones. Who's going to carry them? I, I, like, who's like saying yes for that? But why did they take it? Because it was a symbol of a promise that they would leave that land one day and get to a place where God was calling them. But for now, for now, even with the bones in hands, they would be walking through this difficult path called the wilderness. And if it's bad in this moment, they haven't even gotten into the desert yet. They're on the outskirts. They're they're just hitting the Red Sea. If it's bad now, what about when they're in it? 
Now, you and me, I bet you right now you, you, you can easily just judge Israel. Like, come on, guys. Don't you know God is bigger than this? And I would just tell you, hey, wait a second. Don't judge Israel. Because how would you feel if God led you to a dead end that looked like your death with your enemy trailing you? How would you respond? What would you say? Would you be able to trust him in that moment? And Moses kind of gets them all together or commands some attention. He kind of sounds like a karate sensei. He's like, hey, listen. And then he says these words. Verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will ne- you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So Moses calls them in this moment just to stop, to stand firm, to trust God. In fact, he, he's very particular. He says, be silent and let God fight for you. That's a call to trust. Be silent and let God fight for you. And a couple of verses later, God tells Moses to tell Israel, move on, go forward, take a next step, watch, I'll be with you. And if we read the rest of the chapter, we see that God does lead Israel, that God actually creates a pillar of smoke and puts that smoke, that cloud between Egypt and Israel. They're both, Israel's going to the Red Sea. Egypt is trailing behind them, but Israel, Egypt doesn't see Israel. And Israel doesn't see Egypt because there's this cloud of smoke between them. And that enables them eventually for Israel to walk through the Red Sea where God miraculously saves them. And yet Israel drowns in the waters as the waters recede. And in this first leg of this Exodus journey, God shows Israel that he's with them. Before they even enter the wilderness, before they even enter this desert season that's going to be hard, God shows them, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm delivering you. I've got this. I'm protecting you. And they're going to need this moment before they enter the wilderness. They're going to need this moment before they enter that desert. And then as they enter this desert and this this journey, which we're going to explore the next few weeks, God is going to work in them. He's going to do something incredible in them. And here's what I want you to remember today specifically, and read this with me off the screen. God does not only take them through the wilderness, but shapes them through the wilderness. God does not only lead them through the wilderness, but shapes them through the wilderness. We're going to see that in this series and in these snapshots in Exodus. But what do we learn so far? I just want to wrap up with a couple of things that we learned today so far. And, and we got to remember, Israel's not in the desert yet, but here's this climactic moment that gets them out of Egypt and starting this journey towards God's promised future for them. But here's what we learned so far. First of all, they're tempted to go back to normal. They're tempted to go back to what was, even though what, where they're headed to is going to be better. Now, the middle piece of that is difficult. The desert is going to be hard. But they don't see the fullness of their destination yet. They're just looking backwards. And they're tempted to go back to normal. 
And you and I, when we face wilderness seasons in a relationship or a marriage or our finances or personal disciplines, we often don't see where God wants to lead us, but we go back to like, well, this was normal. This was stable. This was at least predictable. You know, the wilderness is God taking us through something, taking us to something. And some of the most difficult seasons of our lives, God uses to work in us and shape us, but also get us to a new destination. But often, just like Israel, you and I, we're tempted to go back to normal. But what if normal isn't really good? Was Egypt good? Was Egypt the normal they really longed for in their hearts? Now, wilderness will often teach us a new normal, a better normal, a godly normal. I think about even the pandemic we've been in and some of the difficulties that we've seen come up. I've seen marriage relationships struggle. And maybe someone might say in that relationship, say, well, oh man, I wish we'd just go back to normal. Well, maybe the pandemic just revealed the ugliness that was existent before, but you just didn't see it. We look at some of our personal disciplines or our direction in life or our relationships or how we spent our money and we say, well, can't we just go back to normal? But what if normal isn't really God's best for you? And this season is revealing stuff. Is busy normal? Is consumeristic normal? Is apathetic normal? Those were some of the traits that were existing in many of our lives before the pandemic hit. And I don't know what kind of wilderness season you're in, but... I want to just encourage you, don't be tempted to go back. Instead, see that God wants to take you to something different. Here's the second thing I think we learn here at the outset. And when you are in a wilderness season, don't be afraid of it. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying minimize it or say, oh, this is amazing, like rosy colored glasses. I love the desert. The scorching heat is beautiful. I haven't drank water for seven days and that's cool. I'm good. No, no, I don't mean faking it. I mean, don't be afraid of it, right? God tells them in this moment, he's like, move forward. Take a step forward. Let's go through this. Let's grow through this. And then you begin embracing the season you're in. Because once you embrace the wilderness season that you're in, regardless of why you're in it or what it's about or what aspect of life it looks like, once you embrace it, you start seeing God in it. Once you embrace the, the difficult season of a relationship you might be in, you will start seeing God in it and God will start leading you in it. But unless you embrace it and acknowledge it, it's very difficult for God to get our attention. Once we embrace the desert experience we're in, we'll start seeing God in it. Only when Israel moved forward did they experience God's presence leading them and guiding them. As they moved forward, the pillar of smoke, a cloud, started to lead them. God would lead them every single day. In that climactic moment, he delivered them, but it was a sense, a sign that he would continue to guide them. Here's a third thing, and it's where we land today. It's this idea of trust, that we can trust, learn to trust God. That this pre-wilderness moment, just before the Israelites step into the desert, reminds us and is reminding them they can trust God as they enter the desert. 
And I want to encourage you, you and I, you can, we can trust God as we enter a wilderness experience or while we're in a wilderness experience. Because the first thing we learn in the wilderness, if nothing else, is we learn to trust God, is we learn to put our faith in him. Now, the wilderness isn't easy. The wilderness isn't always, isn't fun. The wilderness isn't ideal. The wilderness isn't comfortable. The wilderness is none of those things. In fact, it's often super slow. It's often very uncomfortable. It requires incredible amount of effort. Sometimes it's even dangerous. Yes, literal wildernesses are dangerous. And often the wilderness moments of our lives can feel dangerous. But let me tell you, it demands our trust as we walk through it. And as we learn to trust God through it, we're going to learn the things that he wants to learn, us to learn through it and grow as he wants us to grow through it. But it's going to take a couple of things that we even notice in this text. And it's what Israel is encouraged to do. Two things. One, to be still and to be active. Both things. It's like it's, they're not really canceling each other out. Because in one moment, right, God says, or Moses tells them, be still and let God fight for you. In desert experiences, we need to learn stillness in God, that he, we can trust him, that he's, he's over all things. You and I will only get through desert experiences or seasons of our lives when we learn to be still in God's presence because then we root ourselves in him. So many of us entered this pandemic year without the ability to rest in God's presence. And you know what that does? Every day becomes another burden on us. Every day feels like chaos and confusion instead of another day to be rooted in him and experience his rest. So there's an element of stillness, but then there's an element of action. Not extreme action necessarily. It depends, but we get this sense that, right, God says, tell them to move forward. And trusting God in the journey is sometimes practicing stillness, but then sometimes just saying, moving forward. You know what? I'm going to take one step forward and another step forward and another step forward in the wilderness. We're trusting he's with us in the journey, that God still wants to use us in the wilderness and be with us in the wilderness and lead us in the wilderness. Culture teaches us to pursue security, and yet here in this moment, we're learning to surrender. Just take a step forward. Just take a step forward and trust God with your security as you take that step forward. And here's the beauty in this moment as we bring these pieces together. Be, be, be mindful, be aware that you're going to be tempted to go back. Be, be careful. Don't be afraid of the wilderness and trust God forward through it. And here's where Israel, even in this moment, just at the edge of the desert, before they enter in, they discover who God is in an extraordinary way. Now, I want you to know that the wilderness experience does that for us. But in this climactic moment, we learn something because sometimes we say, well, God did this to Egypt and, you know, the waters came over them to show them who God was. And, you know, we do read that in verse 4, chapter 14. You know, it says that, that this will take place and they will know that he is the Lord. But they really didn't come to know that he is the Lord. They knew that God worked. They, re they recognized, oh, wow, God is fighting for them. But did they know the Lord? Something different happens for Israel. Verse 31, after all this takes place, it says that Israel feared the Lord and believed in him. 
they now postured themselves in a new kind of relationship with God. They stood in reverence of God, revered him, were awed in his presence, and put their trust in him and believed in him. And something gets um, established in that moment. This song gets written in Exodus 15, and we don't have the time to read it. Read it on your own. It's a beautiful song that ends with this incredible line, the Lord reigns as king. And we're, 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 we're understanding in this, in this song that's written, this expression of gratitude and worship after God delivers them from Egypt trailing them, they start to discover who God is and what his kingdom is about, that he exists and that he is confronting evil and injustice and that he's rescuing them from it in that moment. But there's this little line that comes up halfway through, I think it's verse 13, that talks about the unfailing love of the Lord. Some of the versions of your Bible might say the steadfast love of the Lord. That little phrase, such a beautiful phrase, And let me just remind you of this. Israel could never have said that about Egypt, the steadfast love of Egypt. Israel could never have said the unfailing love of Pharaoh. Never. Never. As as good as they thought it was, as, as, as maybe in that moment they thought stability over this crazy moment, they could never utter those words about Pharaoh or Egypt, your steadfast love. But they did about God. Your steadfast love. Is with us. They experience God in that way. And this phrase, steadfast love or unfailing love, gets echoed throughout the Psalms. As the Jewish people grow and move forward and these Psalms are written by David and others, this phrase gets used so often. The God's love endures forever. The unfailing love of God. The steadfast love of God. And they begin, as they begin in that moment to sing and pray that phrase, that becomes something that carries Israel all throughout their lives. They learn to worship God. They recognize his steadfast love. Something they could have never said about Egypt or Pharaoh. And so as we just come to close this right now, as we explore this theme this month, I want you to think about maybe a wilderness experience you're going through right now, maybe one you've been through, one you're anticipating. And I want to encourage you, something that encourages us in this moment, just before Israel gets into the desert. What if we're, not just, what if we're meant not to just go through the wilderness, but to actually grow through the wilderness? What if we're meant not just to be led in the wilderness, but actually be shaped in the wilderness? That's my heart as we look at these snapshots in Exodus for the next few weeks. So let's just end our time together just praying for that, inviting the Lord to grow us, to shape us in these desert seasons of our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Sometimes it is confusing, actually very often in our human perception, God, these desert or wilderness moments in our own lives. None of us choose them. None of us choose a difficult season in a marriage, a difficult season in our finances, a difficult season in our singleness, a difficult season in our vocation, None of us choose the overwhelming circumstances that sometimes come despite the choices we've made. Yet God, somehow, somehow you orchestrate 
these moments, you can use them to lead us and guide us, reveal yourself to us and shape us. And so today, just at the outset of these next few weeks, Lord, we invite you um, to change our perspective, to help us see and be open to you shaping us and growing us through the wilderness seasons of our lives. And if we're not in one right now, but, but the next turn or the next corner or the next year maybe bring something like that on, God, may we posture ourselves to learn and be shaped by you. God, give us the strength when we're tempted to look back and forget that you want to move us forward. Give us the courage when we're afraid and help us, God, to trust you forward. In Jesus' name, amen.